Thank you, Mrs. Moldaver. You're Mrs. Moldaver? Yeah, I don't know who I was talking to. Thank you, Mrs. Moldaver, for uh, inviting me back. I think I was here last year, maybe Hanukkah time? I don't remember. Maybe also Purim time? I don't remember. It was, it was definitely before Yantif, if I remember yes. correctly. But I imagine it's a different group of people. Yes. And we're here last year, so but either way, it's good to, uh, it's good to be back. And Amrit Hashem will try to discuss some ideas of Purim. It's a very, very overwhelming Yantif, both spiritually and practically. It's a Yantif which there's a tremendous amount of things that happen, that need to take place, that do take place. And there's a lot of running around and a lot of chaos and a lot of noise and a lot of moving from place to place and from party to party and shalach manas and matanas avyeinim. And if they're Kriyas Megillah, then there's a suda that you have to go to and you have to go to this suda. And there's a lot of, lot of movement that really takes place in Purim that makes it very difficult to really be able to utilize the day properly. And at the same time, spiritually, what's going on on the day of Purim is something very, very big. It's, you know, the Tikkun Ezer very famously writes that Yom Kippurim, that Yom Kippur is only on a lower level, and only a dimyan, only a mushal for what Purim is. And therefore, Purim is a day which contains within a tremendous, tremendous amount of, of, of spirituality that a person is capable of tapping into. But at the same time, there's a lot going on, and it's difficult to do it. And those two things normally go hand in hand. And anytime there's a big opportunity, there's always going to be a big force which is pushing against it, which makes it difficult and puts a lot of static in our day, in our minds, internally and externally, that make it difficult for a person to be able to really utilize the day properly. And that's why I think it's so important just to be able to spend, you know, we're holding a few days before Purim, very few days before Purim, to spend some time trying to discuss exactly what the ideas of Purim are, and hopefully something that we're all capable of taking out of Purim, a feeling that we should feel on Purim, and something practical also that we should be able to walk out of Purim saying that we utilize this day properly, aside from the mitzvah sayyim that we have to do, aside from Shalchmanas, Matanas, Avion, and Megillah, that we have to do, we actually got something out of the day that will last way past the day of Purim, will hopefully last throughout the year. So I think that in order to really discuss the idea that we're going to discuss today, I think it's worthwhile you know, beginning with two or three questions on some of the basic halachas of Purim. And hopefully we'll begin with these questions that are very basic questions, but hopefully it'll open us, open our minds up to be able to understand something which uh, you say a very important foundation, which will then be able to go back and answer the questions and be able to understand what the day of Purim is. We find that in the day of Purim, and again, this may not be, I shouldn't say it's may not be, it's probably not relevant or maybe it should not be relevant to, to, any, to anybody here, but nevertheless, there is halacha of chayif inish adla yada ben that a person needs to get drunk to the point of they don't know the difference between arahaman and baruch Even halachically, even for men, already the Ramah already writes that obviously that's not the way we do it. We go to sleep, and again, it's this halachic shaila exactly how a person how a person fulfills the requirement. But nevertheless, it doesn't make a difference whether you do the requirement the way it says it and it says, says it in the Gemara, or you don't do it that way. It doesn't make a difference whether you're male or female. Regardless, the very fact that there is a halacha like that on Purim, reveals to us that there has to be something about Purim that, that, that halacha has to make sense. It's a very odd halacha. Chazal talk time and time again about the dangers of alcohol and specifically overindulgence in alcohol to the point that a person gets drunk. We know that light was the first, you know, Nayak got drunk when he came out of the teva. Chazal don't talk very highly about what happened afterwards. Light got drunk. It didn't end well. And here you have it that on the day which contains within it so much power, so much kayach, the Gemara says that, that, that we say, How does that fit within the context of what it means to be a Yid, and specifically to be a Yid on a day like Purim? How does that idea make sense? And again, we're not talking about the fulfillment of it, but the very fact that there is this concept, and this concept is found only on Purim, it's the only time of the year that we find this idea, 
How does, how does that make sense? And again, the idea of wine, we find by Kiddush, we find by Avdallah, we find by a wedding, we find by a bris. We do find it, but never, it's always with a limit. It's always with a symptom. It's always with a gvul, with a boundary. Where we say, okay, this is, it's a revius and not more than that. And a person has to limit himself. And suddenly it comes to Purim, which is a day, which is the holiest day. And there's a halacha that a person has to get drunk to the point that they don't know the difference in Arahaman and Baruch Mark. What does that mean? What, what, is the, what is the inside of that mitzvah? What is the, the yesod? What is the foundation of that mitzvah? That's one question, which is a very bothersome question because it really, it, it goes against everything that we know about Yiddishkeit and everything that we know about Kedusha, about holiness, is that a person has to be able to create boundaries, healthy boundaries that, are, that allow a person to grow. And suddenly when it comes to the day of Purim, it, it seem, it's seemingly the opposite. The second thing we find is we find the concept of clothing come up a lot when we talk about the story of Purim, we find, first of all, the idea of costumes, which is not a newfound minig. It's not something which started 100 or 200 years ago. It's brought down in the Ramah already, and it comes way before that. This concept of a person wearing costumes on Purim. And again, whether you do dress up or don't dress up is not the point, is not the point of this conversation. But the very fact that we find that there's a dugish, the fact that we find that there's an akuda, which it's the only time of the year that we find that there's a, you're a person supposed to dress up and supposed to masquerade. Normally, we say that a person should be teiche kabare. A person should make sure that the insides and the outsides match. And I want to look on the externally based on who I am internally. I want to make sure that my outsides rep- are, represent, are a good representation of who I am inside. And suddenly it comes to Purim and, the, and Chazal tell us, Dress up exactly like what you're not. Nobody's a fireman, nobody's a policeman, nobody's you know, in the army man, no one's a Disney princess. Dress up like what you're not. And somehow the insides and the outsides are clashing. The inside is, uh, I'm a Yid, and that's who I am. And suddenly externally, I'm dressing in a way that totally doesn't, doesn't correlate with who I am inside. What's the pshat? Now, when it comes to Purim, there's a mitzvah. Or there's a mitzvah, there's a minig. There's a custom to dress up and specifically to dress up in a way that doesn't reveal anything about who I am, it's the opposite of who I am. Most people do not dress up based on who they really are internally. Maybe it's who they, would, they fantasize about being, who they would like to be, an alternative reality, but it's not them. It's not who they are, because if you dress up like who you are, that's not a costume. So why in Purim do we find that there's an idea of dressing up and dressing up in a way that's not a, that doesn't reveal who you are, when again, Yiddishkeit is so much about that the inside and the outside should match, that a person should be teiche kabari, that be external clothing should rep, be a good representation of who I am internally. That's the second question. The third question, which is also a concept that we find by Purim that we don't find anywhere else in Halacha, is that we find, and this is the first Mishnah in, in Mesechtas Megillah, we find that there are different days that a person's capable of reading the Megillah on. We all know that in Yushalayim they read on a different day than we read. We read on Yodalad Adar. In Yushalayim they read on Tesvav Adar. It's called Shushan Purim because in Shushan, the city of Shushan, that's when they read the Megillah because the, the main nace happened to them in Shushan. But the Gemara Megillah tells us that originally, it's not like this anymore, originally there were other days that was possible to read also. Yod Aleph, Yod Beis, Yod Gimel, which means 11, 12, and 13th of Adar, the days that we're, we're already, you know, getting close to now, tomorrow, 11, 12, and 13, you're capable of reading, of reading the Megillah. Says the Gemara, who's capable of reading the Megillah then? So the Gemara says there were villagers, and the villagers didn't have the ability to be able to read the Megillah on their own. They were simple people. They may, they may not have been, had the capabilities to read at all, for sure not to read the Megillah, which is complicating. You have to know how to read it properly with the Megillah, and Chazal understood that it's gonna be very challenging for them to be able to get to the big cities and schlep to the big cities every year on Purim to be able to hear the Megillah. So Chazal made a Chazal made a, a takana. They made a very interesting decree, and they said, "Listen, whenever you end up in the city, you're going to end up in the city every Monday and Thursday because all the villagers would come to the big city. They, they were farm people. They would come to sell their weirs and their goods on every Monday and Thursday. Those are the market day market place market day places back in the day. And Chazal said, you're coming anyways to the big city on Monday and Thursday, even though it's two or three days before Purim." 
Not a problem. You can read the Megillah. You'll have to do Meshallah Manas and everything else on the day that it's actually perm when you get back home. But since you're in the big city anyways, we want to make it more convenient for you and we'll allow you to read the Megillah two or three days before. And again, that's a very odd halacha. It's very nice. We feel bad for them that they have to schlep out. We don't say that, listen, if you can't get matzahs for Pesach, so just eat matzahs you know, a week or two before Pesach. Whenever you're in the big city, eat matzahs. Why specifically when it comes to Purim do we find that we allow the villagers, the simple people who don't have the ability to read the Megillah on their own, we say, don't worry, when it's convenient for you, you're in the big city anyways, Monday or Thursday, we'll be more makele, we'll be more lenient than you and allow you to read it even two or three days before you're supposed to be reading even the 11th of Adar, we allow you to read the Megillah. Why specifically Purim do we find this do we find this halacha? So again, three halachas that we find by Purim that are basic halachas that we all grew up. Well, the, thir- the third one maybe we didn't grow up with, but the-, the first two that we know and we recognize, but each one of them ha- is unique that we only find it by Purim. And I think once we understand one yisoid, one basic foundation, we'll be able to understand really all of these three halachas. Again, the three halachas are the fact that there's a chiv, there's an obligation that a person is supposed to drink beyond the point of, beyond the point of knowledge, adla yada. The second one is the idea of costumes, which both of those ideas seem to go against most of the things or everything that we know about what it means to be a proper yid, that a proper yid is supposed to have boundaries and a proper yid is not supposed to go beyond the boundaries and a proper yid is supposed to dress externally the way they're supposed to look internally. There's two things they're supposed to go. And then the third halacha is that we find a kula, we find a leniency specifically when it comes to, the, to, to Purim that the simple people, the villagers, will make it as convenient for them as possible to be able to read Megillah. Now, the fourth question is not such a question, but I think it's just, it's a fascinating point to think about. And we'll get back to this at the end, is that there's a, there is a connection and a strong connection between Nayach and the concept of Purim. And it's something that I don't think we think about at all, but there is, the Yalkut Shemani very famously brings this down, that there is a connection between Nayach, the story of Nayach, the flood that took place all the way to the beginning of creation and the story of Purim thousands of years later. What's the connection? So the Yalkut Shemani tells us something very interesting. It says, how high were the gallows that Haman created for Mordechai to ultimately hang Mordechai in, which he wasn't successful in? 50 Amas. If you look at the if you look at the dimensions of the Teva, the beams that went, the length of the Teva were also 50 Amas. The Yalkut Shemaini, it's a Medrash, tells us that where did Haman get such a tall beam from? Where did he get such a long beam, a 50 Amma beam from? He went ahead and he took one of those beams. He found the Teva. He went and he traveled to the place where they had the Teva. He transported it back to Shushan. And that beam that was taken from the Teva of Nayach was used to, hang, was used to ultimately hang Haman on, but was going to be used to hang Mordechai on. And, and again, it's very convenient that that's where it happened, I've got it from, but there has to be something deeper which connects Nayach and the idea of Purim. Right? Even you find, the, the Pasuk even tells us when it, talks about the, when it talks about the victory, it actually uses the word Nayach, not spelled exactly that way, it's spelled Nun Vav Ches, but it also uses the word Nayach. It says, on the 13th day of Chaydash Adar, that's when they fought the battle, V'nayach, and they rested, and they rested on the 14th. So even in the Perm story itself, we find the name of Nayach, but there has to be some connection between Nayach and Perm. And again, maybe it's something that we don't normally put together. There's two ideas, the Mabel and Purim, but we'll see that those two ideas have, are, are, very, very, are very interwoven and they're very connected. So to answer all the questions and really to understand what the Yisoyed, what the foundation of Purim is, what the, what the real main hergish, what the feeling of, that a person's supposed to walk out of Purim with, we have to really understand what a lavush, what clothing mean when we talk about spirituality. Clothing physically, obviously mean clothing. Clothing is, is something which we wear. And again, like we said, it's supposed to be a representation of who we are inside. But the Balatanya tells us that clothing the neshama also has clothing. Aside from the guf, aside from the body having clothing, the neshama has clothing also. What, are, what does it mean that the neshama has clothing? So the Balatanya tells us that what are clothing? Clothing are there 
in order that a person's able to interact with other people, which means if a person's wearing a suit and tie, so people will look at that person and say, he's a businessman. If, if, a, you know, if somebody's wearing a nurse's, a nurse's, uh, a nurse's um, uh, what's it called, a, uh, uniforms, people will be able to see them, that's a nurse. If somebody's wearing a doctor's coat, they're a doctor. A, a, a clothing that a person wears, physical clothing that we wear, is the way they were able to the way that we're able to express who we are internally to the people around us. And the clothing that we wear helps people around us know who we are and what we're made of. And again, we don't believe that clothing makes the man, but clothing helps the person express themselves and express who they are and what kind, of, what kind of message they want to give over to the people around them. Says the Balatanya, the Neshama has the same thing. The Neshama, thank you so much. Appreciate that. The Neshama also has clothing. What are the clothing of the Neshama? So the Neshama itself is godliness. The neshama itself is in the words of the Balatanya. It's a chelak elekai mimal mamish. It's a piece of infinity. It's a piece of godliness in every single yid. Every single yid, whether they know it or whether they don't know it, whether they're from or not from, man, woman, and child, every single yid from the second they're born has a chelak elekai mimal, a piece of godliness inside of them, a piece of elekos, a piece of godliness. Now, how does that piece of godliness express itself externally? So the Balatanya tells us it expresses itself externally with three things. They're called machshava, Deeper and Maisa, the thoughts I think, the words that I speak, and the actions that I do. Those are called the Levushe HaNashama. They're the way that the Neshama is able to express itself. What does the Neshama want? The Neshama wants to do what Hashem wants because it's a piece of godliness. But that Neshama has to express itself practically in one of three ways. Either by thinking positive thoughts, thinking things that Hashem wants us to think, by doing actions that Hashem wants us to do, the mitzvahs, and by speaking words of Taira, words of Tefillah, speaking positively about other people, those are called the levushe hanashama. The same way the physical clothing allows the person to express themselves externally to those around them, the neshama, which is beyond expression, allows, is capable of expressing itself through the levushim, through the mitzvahs that we do, in a way which is the positive actions, words, and, and thoughts that we have, those are called levushe hanashama. They're the way that the neshama, which is a piece of godliness, has the ability to be able to express itself down here. So when a person, you know, when, when a woman lights Shabbos candles or a person eats a Shabbos suda, a person davens, all of that is the neshama expressing itself through the medium of, either machshava dibar through the medium of action, words, or the thoughts that I'm thinking. And every time I think something Hashem wants me to think, that's my neshama expressed through action, through thoughts. And every time I do something, that's my neshama expressing itself, that godliness inside of me, expressing itself through an action. And every time I speak something positive about somebody else, or I learn Torah, or I, or I speak words of tefillah, that's my neshama expressing itself through the external expression, the external lavush, which is called speech. Now, normally, our goal is to merge the same way we said that we want our physical clothing to be an expression of who we are internally. We also want our spiritual clothing to be an expression of who we are internally, which means internally we're chelikele kaimimal. Internally, we're totally connected to Hashem. But we want to make sure, and this is, the, this is the work that we work on every second of our day, to make sure that our levushim, to make sure that those parts of us that are not the neshama itself, the external parts, are in line with who we are internally. So if a person, you know, Khalila does something which is, which is wrong, a person speaks Lashon Hara, what happens when a person is speaking Lashon Hara is they themselves internally are a chelikele kaimimal. They're, they're a piece of godliness. They're, they have a lakus, they have godliness inside of them. Now their lavush, their clothing, is now not in line with who they really are. Because who they are is a chelik alikanimah. Who they are is somebody who only wants to do what Hashem wants. But their lavush, their expression, their external expression, which is called speech, is not really in line with who they are internally. And if somebody does an action which is not good, that's not in line with who they are internally. If somebody thought, thinks something which is negative about somebody else, what they're doing with their lavush, with their external expression of the neshama, is there's a disconnect between the lavush 
and the etzem, between who the person is at their core and the way that they're expressing themselves. And therefore the whole avayda, the whole work of every single yid, from the second they're born until the second they die, and this is what we work on every day throughout all the challenges that we have, and this is what we're, what, what, what we're trying to grow in constantly, is to try to make sure that those two things, they match. That my lavush, the way I express myself, not just to other people, but do I express myself even internally? The thoughts that I have are positive, the actions that I do are positive, the speech that I, has, that I have is positive, and in that way we're able to connect the lavush who we are externally with who we are internally. We're able to make sure that the external, the levushim of the, the, of the neshama, the clothing of the neshama becomes one with the essence of the neshama, which is a chelek aleikanimal. And that's the avayda that we're involved in throughout the year. But that's not Purim. Purim is something very, very different than that. Why? Because we know that Purim is really a battle of Klal Yisrael against Amalek. We know that Haman was a grandson of Amalek. Amalek came from Esav. And the battle that takes place on Purim, and this is why we read Parsha Zachar this Shabbos, this is why we read about, the, about wiping out Amalek on the morning of Purim. Really, it's not just a battle about Haman. It's about the ideology of Amalek fighting Klal Yisrael and this battle between Amalek and Klal Yisrael, which takes place. What does Amalek want to do? Amalek wants to do one thing. Amalek is Asher Karcha, Baderech. Amalek comes to cool us down. Klal Yisrael had left the first time Amalek attacked us physically. Klal Yisrael left Mitzrayim. We're on a high. We just experienced a year full of Makis. We just experienced Kriyas Yamsuf. We were on a high. Everybody was afraid of us. Everybody recognized the greatness of what it means to be a Yid. We were really, we were, we were all the way at the top. Amalek comes along and Amalek says, I don't believe you're so special. I don't believe there's anything great about you. Ashakarcha, yeah, you're not your nation like every other nation. You can be attacked like every other nation. The Rabbanisham doesn't appreciate you and love you more than any other nation. You're just like every other nation. There's nothing special and unique about who you are. And therefore that cools us down. Ashakarcha baderech, when we don't believe that we are special, when we don't believe that the actions that we do have real meaning to the Rabbanisham, so then what happens is, then we, we, lose the, we lose the excitement and the passion that we have with Yiddishkeit. If we think, and this is what Amalek does to us internally, if we think that when we open the Siddur or Tehillim to Davin, or we talk to Hashem in our own words, and we, and we express something to Hashem, and we talk to Hashem, and we ask Him for something or thank, or thank Him for something, if we believe what Amalek wants us to believe, that it's not important. That the Rabbanisham has so many more important things to be involved in than listening to your complaints, or listening to your gratitude, or listening to your desires, or listening to you expressing who you are. The Rabbanisham has better things to do. Then what happens is we may continue doing the things that we've been doing, but it sucked all the life out of it because we believe it's not important. They make it cold by saying it's not special. There's nothing great about it. There's nothing great about the actions that you're doing. It's just, it's actions. You did a mitzvah. You didn't do a mitzvah. It doesn't really matter to Hashem. It doesn't really matter to the world. Nobody really cares. It's just another action that you either did do or didn't do. That's the power of Amalek. That's the coldness of Amalek. They cool us down by telling us that our actions don't matter. So how do you fight Amalek? So we would think that the way to fight Amalek is by saying it's not true. Our actions are important. Every mitzvah that we do carries tremendous weight by Hashem. We are the most precious nation to Hashem. And that's all true. But that's not the way we fight Amalek. The way we fight Amalek is the way the story of Purim took place. V'nahapachu. We don't fight a Malik by, by answering back the complaints that he has and answering back, answering back every one of his reasons why we're not important. Because then we're getting into a dialogue of he's telling us we're not special and we're saying we're special. Then we're just answering the questions that he asks. We know that the story of Purim is V'nahapachu. V'nahapachu doesn't just mean that the story, everything in the story took place in an upside way, in, a, in an upside down, in an upside down way. It means that the way we battle a Malik is the opposite. We take everything he says and we go to the opposite extreme. So what Amalek says is, Amalek says is your actions are not important. So we can say our actions are important, but that's not fenahapachu. That's just answering back what he's telling us. What we do is, 
Because we tell them all like, you're right. We tell them like, you're 100% right. You know, why, you know why we're special? You know why we're important to Hashem? You know why the Rabbi Hashem loves us? Not because of the actions that we do. You're right, our actions are not important. Our actions may not carry a lot of weight. That's fine. We don't have a problem agreeing with you because that's not why we're precious to Hashem. The, the love that Hashem has for us, the love that Hashem has for every single Yid is not based on actions. So Amalek comes along and Amalek says, your actions don't mean anything to Hashem. Your actions are not important. The Rabbi Hashem doesn't care whether you're daven or don't daven. And we say, We'll deal with that the rest of the year and we'll prove Amalek wrong the rest of the year. And Amalek's obviously wrong, but that's not the way we battle Amalek because then we're getting involved in a dialogue. The only way you can battle Amalek is by taking everything he's saying and flipping it on his head. And we say, Amalek, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right that my actions, but that's, I'm still beloved by Hashem. Even if my actions are not important, even if my actions are not, even if my davening is not the best davening, even if I'm not as careful as I should be in certain but I'm still beloved by Hashem, not because of the actions that I do. So the rest of the year, our goal is to make sure that our essence and the levushim and the external expression of who we are, goes, they're, they're in sync with each other. And we make sure that every action that we do is following Ratzon Hashem. And Purim, we get to a place which is much higher than that. We say, you know what, Amalek? Maybe you're right. Maybe our actions are not good. Maybe we do too many Averis. Maybe even the mitzvahs that we do, are not, we don't do them well enough. And maybe the things that we do are not important. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. But it doesn't make a difference because on Purim we get to the place where we're able to realize that beyond any action that we do or don't do, we're beloved by Hashem because the Rabbanu Hashem loves every single Yid in a way that goes beyond actions. If, if, if there's a love that happens, which is a havasha tluya bedavar, then we know that the Mishnah tells us that it doesn't last. If the love that Hashem has for the Jewish people is only based on the actions that we do, then it won't last. And Amalek can say, listen, if the actions that you're doing are not as good as it should be, like Haman said. The Gemara says, Haman said that Kalah Yisrael was not you know, up to par where they should be. Yishenim and a mitzvah, we're sleeping for the mitzvahs. And then Hashem says, you know what? If, if my love is based on the actions they're doing, so yeah, maybe there needs to be a separation. Maybe let me go find a new, a new nation. But we tell Amalek, our, the Rabban Hashem's love for us is not based on actions that we do or don't do. Hashem doesn't love us only because we do a lot of mitzvahs and he doesn't stop loving us, Khalilah, because we do a lot of Averis. There's a natural love and an and eternal love that Hashem has for every single Yid, regardless of what we do or don't do, the Rabbi Hashem has a love for us. So when Amalek comes along and Amalek says, your actions are not up to par, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, the rest of the year, if it would be anybody else other than Amalek telling us that, we would say, you know what, you're right. We have to fix our actions and we have to be more in line with who we are internally. We have to make sure that there's a sync between our neshama our etzim, who we are, and the actions that we do, and the way we express ourselves. But on Purim, we say, we want to go to a place that's higher than that. We want to go to a place where we recognize that the love that Hashem has for us is totally not based on the actions we do or don't do. It's a natural love that Hashem has for every single yid. That's what it means. That's what it means to get drunk on Purim Adelayah. That doesn't mean that a person has to drink alcohol. Getting drunk to the point of Adelayah means that I rise to the place above Arahaman and Baruch Marchai. What is Arahaman? Arahaman means all the Averis, all the things terrible that we do. Baruch Marchai means all the mitzvahs that we do. Normally, throughout the year, there's a, there's a battle. We have to do more mitzvahs and Averis, and we have to make sure that we're following Ratzon Hashem 100%, and we're in line with Ratzon Hashem. And on Purim, we say, of course we have to do that. But we also have to know that we're able to get to the place above Arahamana Baruch Marchai, above the mitzvahs that we do, and above the Averis that we may end up falling, falling, to, falling and doing sometimes. And we have to realize that there's a natural, there's a natural love that Hashem has for every Yid that goes beyond, beyond actions. So we, we, the love that Hashem has for us, 
that the love that Hashem has for us, sorry, is beyond the actions that we do, good or evil. It's not just that, okay, Hashem loves us even if we do, even beyond the good actions that we do, the love that the Rabban Hashem has for us is beyond anything we're capable of doing. And that's what it means, to get drunk to the point, to recognize that the way we answer our Malik is by saying, maybe you're right, and we have to be better, but that's not why Hashem loves us, because we will be better, Hashem won't love us only because we're better, and He won't stop loving us if we're not better. Hashem loves us a natural love that the Rabban Hashem has for us. That's ahafti eschem amar Hashem. That's the way we answer this kriris, this coldness of Amalek, which says you don't matter and your actions are not important enough. We say, it doesn't matter whether my actions are good or not. Ultimately, there's a relationship that Hashem has for me that goes beyond the actions that I do. We know that generally there's two relationships that a person that a person is capable of having. One is a relationship based on choice. Right, a person could choose to be friends with somebody, choose to get married to somebody, choose to be neighbors with somebody. Those are relationships based on choice, which you can choose and you can unchoose. Then you can walk out of the relationship and say, I'm moving out of the neighborhood, the neighborhood doesn't work for me, I'm not friends with that person anymore. Right? A person can break a relationship that they make based on choice. But there's also a relationship which goes beyond choice. If a person's your sibling, if you have a brother or sister, you may not like them and they may, they may pester you and, and you may get into a fight with them and you may not even talk to them. It doesn't make a difference. A brother's a brother and a sister's a sister and a parent's a parent and an uncle's an uncle. Blood relatives can't ever, they're natural. It's just, it's a relationship which goes beyond the actions that you do or don't do. And there may be love and there may be hate, but it doesn't make a difference. The, the natural relationship is there beyond anything that a person's capable of doing. And we know by Harsinai, Hashem really married us in two ways. One was a marriage that we said, Nasa Venishma, we chose to be connected to Hashem. That's the marriage where we made a choice and Hashem made a choice. But there was also something else that took place by Harsinai. Hashem held a mountain over our head and said, you don't really have a choice because the relationship that Hashem has with us is beyond choice. And even if we're not holding it, saying Nasa Venishma, even if we're not saying the things that we should be doing, and we're not living our lives properly the way we should be doing, we're not holding out the marriage relationship but the relationship of Kafalaim Harkigigis, that relationship which goes beyond the actions that we do, is always going to be there. And that's what Purim means. The way we fight the battle of Amalek is by saying that the love that we have for Hashem and Hashem has for us is beyond any actions that we do or don't do, beyond any Arahaman or Baruch Mordechai. There's a natural relationship between us and Hashem. That, that explains to us, obviously, the concept of Adal Yada, but it also explains to us the concept of dressing up. Throughout the year, the goal is, like we said, to, to make sure that the external is aligned with the internal. We wanna make sure that who we are externally, the way we look externally, fits with who we are internally, both physically and spiritually as well. We wanna make sure that the Lavushe Anashama, the Machshava Dibar and Maisa, that the way that the Neshama expresses itself is in line with what the Neshama is. On Purim we say, we're doing something very different today. We're gonna to dress up like a fireman. We're gonna dress up like a policeman. We're gonna dress up like a princess. We're dressing up like something that we're not. You know why? Because what we're trying to show is the same way you know that I'm not the costume that I'm wearing and you understand that I'm something beyond the costume that I'm wearing, spiritually what we're saying is the same thing. I'm not the actions that I do, good or evil. That's not who I am. The same way my physical clothing on Purim is not a good representation of who I am internally, my spiritual clothing on Purim is also not a good representation of who I am internally. Internally, I go beyond and I'm something bigger and Hashem loves me more than the actions that I do that are positive or negative. There's a love that goes beyond the levushim, beyond the external way that I express myself. So Purim, we wear clothing which says we're not aligned with our clothing because 
Physically, we're not that way. And we say spiritually also. The inside of who we are is beyond the actions that we do, good or evil. And the love that Hashem has for us is something that's bigger than the actions that we do. That's why, and just to answer the third question we answered, to answer the first question, which is the concept of Adla Yada, the second question, which is costumes. And that's why specifically on Purim, more than any other Yantif, Chazal made a special Takana, a special Gezeira to allow even the simplest people that couldn't read the Megillah, they allowed them to be able to read the Megillah on Yud Aleph, Yud Beis, Yud Gimel, even before, something we don't find by any other Yantif. Why? So the Swarm explained to us, because the ones that really bring out the concept of the battle and the victory against Amalek are not the tzaddikim. And it's not the people that are great. Because if it would only be the tzaddikim that bring out the fact that we're victorious against Amalek, so then, okay, you know why we won against Amalek? Because we did great actions externally. That's not why we won against Amalek. We didn't win against Amalek because of the actions that we had. We won against Amalek because of something beyond actions. Because of the relationship that Hashem has for us that goes beyond the things that we do or don't do. So we take specifically the people that are not even capable of reading a Megillah, specifically the people that are not capable of, of laying a Megillah by themselves, the people that are, are, are Amaratsim, they're simpletons. They're people that are villagers, they're farmers, they're living out there, they come in twice a week to sell their goods. And we say, you know who we're putting on a pedestal? We know who we wanna make it as easy as possible to be the simple people. Why? Because it's the simple people that bring out the beauty of what it means to be a yid beyond the actions that we do. They don't have great, they may not have great mitzvahs. They probably don't have a minion out there in the village. They don't know how to read. They probably don't know how to daven properly. They can't learn properly. But that's why we went against Amalek, not because of the Tzaddikim, not because of the Tzaddikim. Moshe Rabbeinu is not the one that fights the physical battle with Amalek. It's not the Tzaddikim that win the battle. It's something beyond that. It's the love that Hashem has for every single Yid, even the simplest Yid who can't read three lines straight. Hashem has a love for that person, which goes beyond the actions that they do, which are positive or negative. It's the love that we're able to fight Amalek with, which is this love which goes beyond the actions. And therefore, specifically on Purim, more than any other Yantif, the simplest people, People that are not capable of reading are put on a pedestal and we say we want to make it as easy as possible for you because you're the real reason why we won against Amalek and you're the real you're the real symbolism of what it means to win against Amalek. Somebody who may not have a lot of actions and may not have a lot of merits and a lot of schusim and a lot of mitzvahs and not a lot of Torah and tefillah, but who they are at their core, which is the fact that they are a yid and they are a memela connected to Hashem, that's what makes them great and that's what allows us to win against Amalek. And memela, that's what, the, that's what the feeling that every single yid is supposed to feel on Purim is this feeling of the Rabbani Hashem doesn't love me because of the mitzvahs that I do and he doesn't chalila stop loving me if I don't do mitzvahs. The Rabbani Hashem's love for me goes beyond actions. Actions. And yes, my, my avoida and my work throughout the year is to make sure that the actions I do are in line with who I am. But the only way I can get to that place of making sure that my actions are in line with who I am is when I realize who I am. And I realize that the love that Hashem has for me goes beyond anything that I do or don't do. And the Mela, once I understand that, once I really grasp that in a very deep way, once I really internalize, internalize the fact that the love that Hashem has for me is a love which is kafalimarkagigas, a love which is beyond actions, now I can go on the day after Purim, the day after that. Now I can say, now that I believe that Hashem's love for me is unconditional, now I want to make sure that I actually, actually serve Him in the way that He wants because he doesn't love me conditionally based on what I do. It's an unconditional love that he has for me. So now that I feel that deep relationship, now I wanna make sure that I'm doing what Hashem wants me to do and I'm following a line with all of his actions and I'm making sure that my external is in, is in sync with my internal. Just to answer the concept of Nayach, which is so important because it's, it's, it just ties everything together. What do we find about Nayach? You find about Nayach a very, very interesting dichotomy, something that we don't find about anybody else in Tanakh. First of all, that it calls him a tzaddik. Nayach's the only person we know, Yosef a tzaddik. The Torah doesn't call him Yosef a tzaddik. Binyamin a tzaddik is not called Binyamin a tzaddik in the Torah. The only person the Torah calls a tzaddik is Nayach. Nayach is tzaddik. 
Tamim Hayyabadeh Yet if you look at Rashi, you find that in Rashi, there's many, many Rashis throughout the Parsha's Nayach, which says things that are not so great about Nayach. The first Rashi, Nayach Tzadik Tamim Haya, he was a Tzadik in his generation. Rashi says that can mean either something positive or it can mean something not so positive. Either it means that even though his generation was so terrible, he was good, or no, he was only good relative to his generation. But he wasn't a Tzadik. Had he been in the generation of Avram Avinu, he would have not been so great. We find that Chazal say that, there's a Rashi also, Chazal said the only reason why Nayach went into the Teva is because it started raining. Af Nayach, the Rashi says, he also didn't believe. So I don't understand. Here you have a Tzadik, the only person that the Torah calls a Tzadik, and yet Rashi goes ahead and time and time again talks about the fact that Nayach wasn't so great and Nayach wasn't such a tzaddik and the things that Nayach did which weren't so great after the Mabal he drank and he ended up, he ended up you know, exposing himself in a way which is terrible. So this is the person that the Torah calls a tzaddik? This is who the Torah calls a tzaddik? But the secret of Nayach is this secret of Purim. What does it say about Nayach? Nayach found grace. I don't know if that's a good, it's not a good translation. There's no good English word for chen. But Nayak found chen in the eyes of Hashem. What is chen? Chen is this love which the Rabbani Hashem has for a person which goes beyond actions. When you say that a person finds chen in my eyes, right? Sometimes you'll say, you know, I get calls for Shadduchim, you know, constantly. Some will say, you know, this, I said, this Bachar finds chen in Adam, which means people like him. I can't tell you why. I can't point to a specific, you know, attribute that he has that people like. He just, he finds chen. Chen means that this, it's not beauty and it's not actions and it's not something that they're, they're very giving person. That's not chen. Chen means that there's something there that I can't put my finger on, but, but ultimately people like being around that person. That person finds chen be'enia adam. Noyach matza chen be'enia Hashem. Noyach found chen in the eyes of Hashem, which means the reason why Noyach was a tzaddik and, and the Rabbani Shem loved him. It wasn't because of the actions that he does, because he may not have been the perfect tzaddik. There may have been things that he did in his life that weren't great, including drinking, including not walking into the teva until it started raining, including maybe only being a tzaddik compared to his generation, but that's not Noyach. Noyach is matzachein be'ini Hashem. Noyach reveals what it really means to be a yid. Noyach reveals what it means, the love that Hashem has for every yid, that even if the actions are not perfect, but there's chen. Hashem, ha every yid finds chen be'ini Hashem. Every yid is beloved by Hashem, not because of the actions, even if he's only a tzaddik compared to the people around him, but this chen be'ini Hashem. Even the word noyach, the name noyach, is obviously the, the letters chen, which are flipped around. Noyach, chen, or ches and nun, flipped around. It's the same thing. Noyach finds chen be'ini Hashem. And therefore, noyach is called the tzaddik because Hashem's revealing to us that every one of us is a tzaddik. Right? The Navi tells us, kulam tzaddikim. Every yid is a tzaddik. Ah, but my actions don't look like I'm a tzaddik. My actions don't look like I'm a tzaddikus. It, it doesn't look, my, my external doesn't look, doesn't look the same way my internal is. Nayach says, okay, maybe. Maybe the external is not, is not a good representation of who you are internally. But Hashem still finds, you still find chen in Hashem's eyes. You're still a tzaddik on the level of nayach, that level of chen, and therefore you find favor in Hashem's eyes. How big, how big was the piece of wood that nayach put in his teva? 50 amas. Why 50 amas? So we know that the Maral and many of his farm tell us that anything that's natural is always seven. Everything's, everything in nature is always seven. There's seven oceans and there's seven, there's seven notes in the, in the musical thing, in, 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 in music and the seven days of the week. Every, the seven concepts, everything is seven. Everything revolves around the number called seven. Seven is the concept called teva, called nature. Eight is above nature. Seven times seven is what? 49. 50 represents something that's above nature. Everything, if the Rabbanisham's love for us is natural, which means if it's only based on the things that we do, so okay, you do good actions, Hashem's love, Hashem loves you. Khalil, you don't do good actions, Hashem says, I don't love you anymore. But if the love that the Rabbanisham has for us is supernatural, it's above nature, it's something which is beyond nature, then it's connected to the world of eight. It's connected to the world of 50. The name Nayach contains within it two letters, the letter Ches, 
which is eight, which is above seven, above nature, and the letter nun. What's nun? Nun is 50. Seven times 50, which is the ultimate, the ultimate completion of all nature. 50 is above that, right? That's why we have 50 days to sphere. So, Aymar, 50 is above that. Seven times seven is the ultimate teva, the ultimate nature, and 50 represents something above. Noyach represents the love that Hashem has that's supernatural. It's eight and it's 50. It's above nature. It's not based on anything that he did do or didn't do. It's Hashem loved Noyach because Noyach matzachain be'eni Hashem. And therefore, when Haman wants to hang uh, hang Mordechai on it, he goes and he gets a piece of wood from Nayach Seva because that, what what, that was the piece of wood that was the most convenient. But Hashem set it up in the most beautiful way that what's going to happen when, when Haman tries to hang Mordechai on it is that Hashem says, I love Klal Yisrael. It, it reminds the Rabban Hashem Kaviyachal of the fact that there's a Nayach in the world, of the fact that there was a Teva in the world, of the fact that Hashem saved Nayach because he found chen be'ene Hashem. And even if Haman's right, that Klai Yisrael is not doing what they're supposed to be doing, they're yeshenim in a mitzvah, they're sleeping, and their actions are not good, but Hashem says, my love for them is supernatural. So Haman and Amalek, you could be right that our actions are not good enough, and you could be right that we should be doing better, but that's not why Hashem loves us. Hashem's love for us goes beyond that. And therefore, Haman ends up getting hung specifically on a gallows that comes from the teva of Nayach, and specifically a piece of wood that's 50 amas. 50 represents nun, the level that's above 49, above nature, because that's the difference between us and the nations of the world. Amalek says, Hashem loves you when you do what you're supposed to be doing. But if you don't do what you're supposed to be doing, there's no love. And Mordechai Tzadik and Nayach and every, every Yid and Kla Yisrael is able to reveal, even the simplest people are able to reveal that Hashem's love for me and for every one of us goes beyond anything we do or don't do. It's Adla Yada, but Ar Hamala Baruch Mordechai. Specifically, Nayach brings out this Nakuda, and that's why there's a connection between Nayach and Purim, and that's why, like we said, it even mentions the name Nayach in the Megillah, because those two ideas come together. We were able to rest on the 14th, when Nayach Arba Asar, we were able to rest and be successful and be victorious over Amalek because of the concept of Nayach, because of something which goes beyond anything we can see physically, anything we do or don't do, beyond any of the clothing that we have, our Neshama has, and the Neshama, and the neshama does, and we're able to reveal something which is deeper than all of that, and that's ultimately what Purim's about. So Hashem should help us, that we should be Zeichah, to, to really, to take this in, you have to take Five minutes on Purim. It's worth it to take five minutes. Again, it's a chaotic day, it's a lot going. Five minutes just to think about that. And just to think about that concept that Hashem's love for me is totally unconditional. And it's not based on anything I do or don't do. And it's not based on Araham and Baruch Mordechai. It's not based on whether I know how to read or don't know how to read. It's not based on how much learning or davening I do. Hashem's love for me is totally unconditional. And it's a love which goes beyond anything. And it's the only way that we fight Amalek. Amalek says your actions are not good enough. And we say, maybe you're right. But we're not loved because of our actions. We're loved for something beyond that. Hashem should help us. That we should be zeicha to be kind of this, to really accept this, to really be able to feel this feeling of unconditional love Hashem has for us, because that's ultimately the greatest catalyst, the greatest you know stepping stool, to, which allows us to then make sure that the actions that we do externally fit with the internal, that the lavush fits with the neshama. And by doing that, we'll be zeicha to live proper lives the way we're supposed to be living.